Hello everyone, welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie. So for today's episode, we're going to go into a case that involves my home state and actually one of the only women that is on death row in the state of Tennessee and also one of the youngest women to be sentenced to death in United States history. So in order to talk about this case, we're going to have to go all the way back to 1995 On Friday, January 13th, when the body of a young woman was discovered brutally mangled beyond recognition in the woods of the University of Tennessee Agricultural Area. Now, Knoxville, Tennessee definitely at the time was not a stranger to crimes at all, but this was a case that shook people to their entire core. I mean, I remember my mother telling me about this because she was in her like late 20s at this time around 1995 and um, she remembers how terrified people were when the news of this broke out Um, it was just completely gruesome and the mentioning of satanic involvement especially when you are in the deep south just automatically sent shivers down people's spines But was it necessarily the devil, or was it just pure, cold, calculated callousness? But in order to talk about what happened, we will have to talk about the major ringleader of this event and trail back to her beginnings. And it all starts with a girl named Krista Gale Pike. She was born March 10, 1976, in West Virginia. Now, her mother was known to be a party animal type, and this left Krista to be taken care of by her grandmother, who was a devout Christian from all sources. But sadly, as we've seen through a lot of, you know, news articles and, you know, all sorts of, you know, scandals, that just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you live a Christian life. And it doesn't always mean that it's the safest space for a child to be raised. Um, There were sources that said her grandmother wasn't necessarily the most kind-hearted person. There were reports of alcohol abuse as Krista was growing up. And the men in Krista's life were not particularly kind as well. And unfortunately, there have been reports that she was molested even as young as still being in diapers. And despite this being evident, it seems like her grandmother did little to nothing to protect her granddaughter or even stop the abuse. Now, when Krista was 12 years old, her grandmother died, and this had a major effect on the young girl. And she had attempted to take her life for the very first time, and even attempted self-harm as a result of it. So, during this time, she was also sent to go back and live with her mother, who was battling an alcohol addiction and was an RN at the time. So she didn't have a very present mother, and her and her mother did not get along, and their relationship was not that typical either. Uh, Most of the bonding that they had was spent smoking marijuana together, and her home life was considered to be nothing but pure lawlessness, and lacking any form of stability or routine for her, resulting in just a complete instability in her psyche. So it fuels the debate later on if, 
you know, socio or psychopaths are created and made when we see things like this that happen in these cases. But we will go on to discuss that later. Um, and even worse for Krista, she couldn't escape the abuse. Her mother's live-in boyfriend had apparently tormented her, uh, branding a makeshift weapon, and she would say that he would hold it over her as a threat just to beat her up and sport it like a decoration, like hang it over her bed, just kind of daring her to act out against him for some odd reason or the other, which only made her act out more. Now, sometimes it was mentioned that she would run to her father, and her father was not present in her life at all. He was very much absent, and he didn't really want much to do with her, and she was already an out-of-control teenager by this time and was refusing to listen to any type of discipline or any parental figure. So as a result, she ends up getting kicked out of both father, father's potential home and mother's home before the age of 18. So she was battling with a lot of trouble, battling with, you know, drug addictions, technically, because marijuana is still classified as a drug. And she was also known to have a shoplifting habit as well. She did a lot of petty things and got into a lot of trouble. And as a result, she got arrested and spent some time in a detention center. And somewhere along the line, some people said that this became sort of like a small wake-up call for her. That she needed to get away and do something else for her life. But some people also think that it wasn't really that. Was it really that or just something she wanted because Krista craved attention? And this is how she ended up relocating herself to the Knoxville, Tennessee area at the age of 18. Now, there was a place in the University of Tennessee area called Job Corps. Um, naturally, that place is no longer here because of the case I am talking about today. But Job Corps was a prominent thing um, around the time that Krista, you know, relocated. Um, it was for anyone who, you know, was lower income, anybody who needed to get back up on their feet and wanted to start fresh in their life and was located on Dale Avenue. So anybody that had troubled youth or had, you know, like I said, the low-income background, they found themselves there picking up particular trades in order to pursue further education and try to get jobs in their lives because they couldn't afford education another way. So Krista decided that she was going to do this and, oddly enough, follow in her mother's footsteps and try to become an RN. And with the program... Here, she was going to be able to do just that. Now, while she was at this program, it seemed like she quickly lost her way and was not all that enamored with studying to become a nurse and change lives. She was more enamored with partying, hanging out, and with a certain boy. This certain boy was a 17-year-old named Tadaryl Ship. He came to Knoxville from Memphis, and he had come from a background that was struggling with gangs, and his family was struggling to make ends meet, and he had a rough bringing up at, from his life as well, and this resulted in him running with a tough crowd. He dropped out of school his freshman year, 
and because of that, he ended up at Job Corps wanting to do a culinary degree. But instead of either one of these two working hard to fix their lives, um, it just seemed like misery enjoyed company. They found mischief and trouble instead of hard work and success. And Krista made another friend as well. Another person by the name of Shadola Peterson. This was an 18-year-old. Um, and all three of these individuals hit it off with a common theme of interest. And this common theme, as I mentioned earlier, was Satanism. For some reason, Tadaryl really had an interest in the occult practice, and the rumor had it that he had a shrine to the big man downstairs himself in his own room. I don't know how you could have that on campus in Job Corps, especially in the middle of Knoxville, Tennessee, because even Tennessee now in 2023 is good lord help so freaking right wing at times it's crazy but somehow the rumor had it that he had a statue to lucifer had a whole shrine and the group would practice seances and frequently mentioned how they wanted to do sacrifices and take their practice to an entirely different level than just praying and doing random occult things here and there but not everybody enjoyed that type of life, and there was plenty of other people at Job Corps that were not in this group. Unlike the three that I had just mentioned, there was also people like 19-year-old Colleen Slimmer, who had come to Knoxville for, some people say, a computer technology program. Others say she was in for an RN program like Krista. But Colleen had come from Jacksonville, Florida, and her family upbringing was actually fairly decent from all accounts that I could find. Now, it's not really clear how she crossed paths with these three, but it was like a doomed fate the second that she did. Um, the smoking gun that caused issues that was the main catalyst through all of this was to Daryl. Now... The issue was Krista went on a holiday, went on vacation back to West Virginia to visit family, and Tadaryl stayed behind in Knoxville. Now, when he stayed behind, he was spreading rumors that he had hooked up with Colleen and claimed that Colleen was the one who had pursued him the entire time. Now, friends of Colleen and even Colleen herself had admittedly adamantly denied this saying that they had she had never even been involved with him not so much as even like crossing a path and that was it but it was her word against his and for Krista she was not going to be convinced otherwise her boyfriend wouldn't lie to her about anything like that so Krista had it set in her mind that Colleen was out to try to steal her boyfriend from her and this absolutely enraged her. She absolutely hated it. And Colleen was going to have to pay one way or another. Now, Krista had a friend named Kim that she would talk to that was also her roommate. And on the days of January 11th and 12th of 1995, she had mentioned that she just felt like killing Colleen because she felt mean that day. This friend obviously didn't take 
Krista that seriously, thought that it was petty drama between her and Colleen and that it was something that would subside because tale as old as time rumors happen, but she probably should have taken it more seriously, especially with the crime rates and Knoxville being how they were at the time. But somehow Krista had it in her mind that she was going to take revenge on Colleen. On the day of January 12th, Krista pretended to try to smooth things over with Colleen, extending out a hand to her by saying, hey, do you want to hang out? Um, Gave the promise of getting high on marijuana and sneaking out after hours to head to the woods that evening. So around the 8 p.m. hour, Colleen checks out with Krista as well as to Daryl and Shadala. What would be four people seen walking away from the Job Corps campus would result in only three people returning a few hours later. They ventured out into the woods further and further until the group of three were certain that prying eyes were not going to be able to notice what was going on. And that's when the true dark motive started to come to light. Earlier, Krista and Tadaryl had been consistently talking about wanting to do human sacrifices as part of their satanic group. And with Tadaryl sharing all these rumors about how Colleen had tried to hook up with her, Krista was quick to offer up Colleen as their human sacrifice. No questions asked, pure rage and pure jealousy. So Krista had Shadala acting as a lookout, just in case anyone happened to come by and noticed what was going on, while she and Tadaryl yielded a box cutter and a meat cleaver. And for the next hour, what can only be described as pure hell and torture happened to poor Colleen. First was pure physical assault. Colleen was, you know, hit and kicked in the face. Um, She was kneed repeatedly by Krista um, and forced to strip down from her clothing. And Colleen, all the meanwhile, was begging for her life and pleading for Krista not to do what she was doing. She even went as far as to say that she would just walk all the way back to Florida without so much as stopping at Job Corps to get any of her stuff or tell anybody what had happened. But all this did was enrage and piss off Krista and make Krista scream at Colleen to shut up. And this is when the slashing and hundreds of wounds begin to happen to Colleen. And I am putting it very lightly when I say it like this because I have seen, you know, the photos and everything because they're how easy it is to come across them online is actually really appalling. And it's something that I will not share online because of how low-key, not even low-key, disrespectful it really is to just have that sitting out there like it is. Especially with Colleen's mother out there trying to get justice for her daughter like she wants. But Colleen, you know, is over here begging for her life and... Krista was ruthless and non-stopping and 
slashing at her, stabbing her, and eventually gathering a large piece of asphalt and hitting Colleen in the head until Colleen was groaning and on the ground. And by Krista's records, she did not stop until the gurgling sounds that Colleen made had stopped. Now, afterwards, Krista bent down, and this is one of the most notorious parts of this case, is where Krista bends down and picks up a piece of Colleen's skull and puts it in her jacket pocket like a keepsake. And later it was said from the trio with what they believed in with their group that it was like some sort of way to try to keep Colleen's spirit like trapped and bound to the earth because if her entire body was not able to be intact then it would make it harder for her to peacefully move move on which is even more vile and disgusting when you think about it like they wanted to do nothing but pure harm to this girl and the real truth about it is is she probably was just a hundred percent innocent with somebody certain individual guy over here lying his way and saying something happened when it didn't didn't happen it never happened um her and Daryl then did a shoddy very shitty ass job at covering up her body and then they tried to wash quote-unquote wash off the blood spots that they had really they just covered it up with mud um, before putting leaves and stuff, brush over Colleen's body before dumping her in this makeshift shallow grave, leaving her to rot just outside the agricultural area at the UT campus. So this literally lasted from about 8 o'clock at night to 11 o'clock at night, a very short time span. Krista, when she was back in the dorm, wasn't too big on hiding didn't seem like it even phased her at all didn't seem like she was mortified that she had just taken somebody's life in one of the most brutal ways that she possibly could in fact she seemed like she was giddy and ecstatic the same friend that she had been talking to saying that she had wanted to kill colleen just because she felt mean she was now bragging to her saying that she had killed her um the roommate initially didn't believe Krista. I don't know why you wouldn't, especially after this girl sat there and told you what she was wanting to do, and now she's coming back to you saying that she did it. But then, even more so, she pulls out the piece of skull from her pocket. And the friend says she goes on to dance around the room and smiles and laughs like it was hilarious and completely retold the story like it didn't even bother her and what's even more concerning is how nobody thought to even try to report this the friend didn't try to report this I don't know if she was just that fucking terrified of how crazy batshit this batshit crazy woman was um Shadala didn't think to report this despite being forced quote unquote forced to be a lookout um to Daryl he didn't think to rat out his girlfriend. Nobody thought to call the police. And Colleen's body would not be found until the following evening on Friday the 13th when a worker for Job Corps 
was walking around and happened to stumble across her body. And she was so mangled beyond recognition that apparently this worker initially thought that it was an animal until they got closer and realized this was not an animal. And this horrified them naturally and the cops were immediately called. And of course the first responders they weren't sure what part of the body was her face because of how bad it was. And like I said these pictures they are out there but out of respect, those photos I am not going to share. Um, her body, the coroner, when they did the autopsy and everything, they were able to tell that there were wounds that still were red, indicating that her heart still had a pulse. She was still, you know, alive and feeling all of this while she was being tortured. She felt everything in her throat. Um, her throat was one of the biggest things that they had noticed being deeply cut and a pentagram had also been cut into her skin. Now, with the body being as close to job corps as it was and Krista's bragging, police um, naturally were looking at that area. I don't think they initially took in the bragging but they did notice, you know, the logbook where four people checked out and only three people checked in. So it didn't take them long before they realized that they were going to have to interview Krista, Tadaryl, and Shadala. Now, Krista confessed very quickly and even gave authorities permission to search her dorm. So either she's a really cocky bitch or she just did not care and wanted to be caught. And that's the way that I see it. She led them to places where she had dumped evidence, including Colleen's ID cards, and even retraced her steps through the crime for them, like she just did not give a damn about what would happen to her. And the biggest key was the skull. The skull piece, I should say. Krista still had it in her jacket pocket that she had left in a counselor's office. I mean, it, you couldn't put evidence together more perfectly than what this case was. So, in turn, Krista does give a long confession about what she did to Colleen. And she tries to justify it, saying that she thought Colleen was trying to steal her boyfriend, so she had to make her pay. And once she got started, of course she wasn't going to be able to stop. And Colleen only made it more difficult by talking to her. And she hated how Colleen was trying to humanize herself. So she goes on about how Colleen tried to get away. And how she did this when Krista thought that she had heard somebody and stopped momentarily. But she only got so far before Krista knocked her back down. And at that point, Krista was doing her a favor by putting her out of her misery. And that's when she had done the bashing of her head in with the piece of asphalt. Now, so much for romance at this point. She did all of this out of jealousy, but she ends up selling out to Daryl and sells out her friend Shadala and calls them as co-conspirators 
before she gets a charge of first-degree murder. Now, the attorneys for Krista, they tried to argue, of course, that she was mentally unwell and suffered from severe borderline personality disorder and had severe PTSD. They also reflected on her life of abuse and heavy dependency on marijuana that influenced her behavior. They also had a doctor study her brain, and this doctor mentioned that her frontal lobe wasn't put together properly, and it was the part of the brain that would necessarily help you determine right from wrong. And the doctor believed that because of this, she was just doomed from the start of her life. And it could have been because her mother had such a heavy alcohol dependency. And Krista ended up being born, you know, with fetal alcohol syndrome, which causes a lot of issues in infants. And the doctor further went on to say that every killer he had ever examined in his life had three features. And Krista had all three of the same features. And those being brain damage, a history of abuse, and mental illness. Now it seems like it would be a very compelling theory to believe, but it didn't sway these prosecutors. It didn't sway the judge. They didn't look at that as an excuse for anything. She still had the indictment for first-degree murder, and with all of that considered on March 22, 1996, it only took a few hours of deliberation for Krista to be found guilty of murder and sentenced to death by electrocution at the age of 20. Now, to Daryl, he was only 17 years old at the time, and he ended up getting a life sentence for his role uh, with the possibility of parole. Um, and I think he had an additional 25 years on his sentence as well. But because he was 17, he was a minor, and in Tennessee, he could not receive the death sentence. Now, he has potential to be paroled in 2028. Now, Shadala, we've mentioned her. She ends up getting away with probation because she pleads guilty to being an accessory of the fact because she ends up turning on to Daryl and Krista both to help the state build a case against Krista. Now, Krista was originally supposed to be executed in 1997, but the death penalty, as we know, is never as easy as it seems. Krista is now 47 years old. She has been on death row longer than Colleen Slimmer was ever alive. She spent multiple years appealing, withdrawing appeals, and making big scenes of herself. And this is not exaggerating. There have been interviews that she has done. There has been literal attempts where she has attempted to kill other inmates. While she was in prison, one, one she tried to strangle with a shoelace. Um, she also tried to escape prison at one time by conspiring with a former prison guard and a man who had been pen-palling her that had somehow fallen in love with her. Um, all the interviews that we've seen of her, she shows that she cares more about what she didn't get to do with her life. And how she has remorse for that other than what she did to Colleen. 
there is an interview I saw somewhere, I'm not sure who it was with, but she literally says that she's supposed to be doing this, that, and the other with her life. But, you know, Colleen was supposed to be able to do that too, and she never got that chance. Now for Colleen's mother, Mae Martinez, she's been begging for the state of Tennessee to finally just get it over with and set an execution date. And she told the local news station here where I live, uh, WBIR, that her heart breaks every single day because she is forced to relive and relive what had happened to her daughter. Um, Krista's lawyers, they try to claim that Krista does recognize that her trauma and illness don't excuse her actions. But there's... A page that I saw doing my research that says Mercy for Krista, and the whole page, I looked at it, um, the whole page is pretty much just saying that this is, Krista is this mentally ill girl who should get to go free because she had, you know, she didn't have the emotional maturity, um, the whole page pretty much is nothing but, um, no accountability whatsoever. Now, Krista Pike is asking that her sentence be commuted to life imprisonment because she feels it would reflect punishments imposed on other youths like her that lacked maturity and emotional stances like that. Um, But in June of 2020, the Supreme Court refused to review the case. And also around October of that year, a request was made for an execution date. Um, As of June of 2021, it appeared as if there could still be a potential execution date set for her. But I have not seen one as of yet being set. Um, With Governor Bill Lee here in Tennessee now, there's no telling. I know that they have been doing all sorts of weird shit in this state here lately um her attorneys are still making every effort that they can to beg governor lee for a pardon or to at least lessen because they feel like to daryl was the ringleader so now they're trying to like paint who the actual you know quote-unquote villain and the actual person responsible of this was so they're blame shifting at this point um They also request this because they want to investigate whether or not Krista's human rights were violated during her trial. But regardless of all of this, the shit show that's going on with whether or not she is going to be executed, the point being is it's important to remember that Krista has shown no remorse for her actions. There were letters intercepted, like, right after she got the death sentence penalty handed down to her, where she called Colleen a literal whore after receiving this penalty and brushed off the entire situation like it wasn't a big deal. So, either she's putting up an act one way or the other, or whatever the hell you want to look at it. It's just complete nonsense and craziness. But there's a reason why the papers called her someone who had the quote-unquote face of an angel and 
nothing but a true devil's heart. Colleen didn't get to live her life the way that she deserved to rightfully live it. And unfortunately, now Colleen's legacy is forever bound next to this woman who, even to this day, despite claiming that she's taking accountability, takes little to no accountability for what she has done. But I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. That is the murder of Colleen Slemmer and, of, of course, the uh, tale of Krista Pike as well. If you guys have any other additional comments that you would like to add for this episode or any recommendations for further episodes, feel, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, you can contact me at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Facebook or Instagram at Manic Manor Podcast. And, and also feel free to comment down on YouTube as well because this will be uploaded on YouTube. So until next time, I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Especially for those of us in the U.S. who are going to be having the 4th of July. Um, just stay safe out there. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye.